6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 1 Chronicles, chapters 14 through 17. Well, we are in 1 Chronicles, chapters 14 through 17. And just by way of recap here, in the Hebrew, the word for this book means the words concerning the days. It's a chronicle. And it's counted as one book. Both First and Second Chronicles are one book in the Jewish Bible in a means of reckoning in which there's 22 books in the Tanakh. That is the same number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In the Greek translation of that, called the Septuagint, they treated it as supplements because they saw it as an appendage or a, a, an addition, if you will, to First and Second Kings. The Latin, uh, Jerome called it the Chromicon, from which we get the English Chronicles in effect. And uh, in 1st, 2nd Kings, we have the political record, but in 1st, 2nd Chronicles, we have the religious record. 1st and 2nd Chronicles will skip over a lot of things that uh, uh, aren't germane to the dynasty itself, in their minds at least. So, they take the form of a history. They commence with Adam, but in the form of genealogies, all the way through the death of Saul that we just covered last time. And it'll end, the whole series will end with the freeing of the Hebrew captives from Babylon, when Cyrus the Persian conquers the Babylonians in 538. And uh, David and Judah are the focal points, with a lot of emphasis on the, on the priests and the Levitical orders and so forth. And the genealogy were in the first nine chapters, now we're in the reign of David, just beginning that. Uh, Second Chronicles will pick up the reign of Solomon and the rest of the Davidic dynasty, to give you a perspective of where we're headed. But we're in the reign of David still tonight. And the monarchy, you may recall from when you learned the Bible in 24 hours profiling, that uh, we have the monarchy that began with Saul, then David, Solomon, then the, then the Civil War, all the way to the various uh, captivities. Uh, first and Second Samuel, first, second, takes, first and Second Samuel take us right up to Solomon, and then First Kings and Second Kings from then on. And uh, we have Chronicles in a sec. First Chronicles paralleling Second Samuel pretty much. And then 2 Chronicles paralleling 1 and 2 Kings, which will constitute the bulk, of course, of our study. But we're setting the foundation of it here. And uh, 1 and 2 Samuel uh, dealt with Samuel, Saul, and David. 1 and 2 Kings, David's 40-year reign, and then Solomon and the divided kingdom and the exile, both Assyria and uh, Babylon. And uh, I don't want to put those in the same category. Assyria wiped out the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was just put into seven years' captivity in deference to God's commitment to David. And Chronicles will highlight that as we get there. And of course, First and Second Chronicles just focuses then on the southern kingdom. Okay. And the first book of Samuel, touched on last time to some degree, and uh, leads us to David, the greatest of the kings. We need to understand that. David was the greatest of the kings, not just for the Jews, but throughout eternity he's going to be used as a benchmark, strangely enough. He was anointed by Samuel, serviced as an exile somewhat before Saul, many years as a fugitive. And the second book of Samuel deals with his triumphs, but uh, from chapter 13 on, his troubles, his family problems, and the nation, and so forth. Chronicles is not going to touch up much on that part of it. 
And uh, so we've had the genealogies. We're now at Jerusalem with the Ark of the Lord and so forth. So chapter 14. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, the timber of cedars, with masons and carpenters, to build him a house. This is a house for David. Hiram was a real good friend of, of, of uh, David. David has emerged as a king in that region, a new king. And Hiram knows that a new king needs to demonstrate his kingship by having his own palace. So Hiram, very wealthy and very friendly, uh, establish, uh, establish, you know, builds the palace for David. David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people Israel. David took more wives at Jerusalem, and David begot more sons and daughters. Now, this was not a good idea. He recognized that God had raised him to prominence. But another symbol of oriental splendor in, in that culture was a harem of wives. And God forbade polygamy back in Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. But uh, uh, times are changed, I, I'm sure it was his mentality. So he succumbed to the customs of that day. We should always be careful of that. Now these are the names of the children which he had in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Ibhar, Elishua, Elpalat, Anoga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Melida, and Ephelet. Here's a quick picture. Uh, his wife with Nahash, he had, first uh, uh, Jesse was his father, but um, he had a half-sister and a half, uh, in fact, two half-sisters, Abigail and Zariah, that uh, from a, a previous marriage, I, I guess, from uh, his wife. And then uh, from that, those two half-sisters, there were other issues that were all nephews. And the key one here will be Joab, who is a nephew of David, in effect, and uh, I should call him a half-nephew. And uh, now he had, David took a lot of wives. Michael, Saul's daughter, was the first, but nothing came of that. And Noam, Abigail, that was Nabal's widow. We talked a lot about that um, earlier, previous studies. Um, Maka, the daughter of the king of Geshur, then Hegeth, Abital, Eglah, and then Bathsheba, of course, which is very prominent. And from these, he had sons. And uh, some of these sons... Uh, Abin, uh, excuse me, Ammon, Absalom, and Adijah would be very prominent in the, in the uh, family uh, tensions and, and uh, in the book of uh, uh, Samuel and King, in the books of Samuel and Kings. But the, uh, the, the, uh, there were lots of other sons from other wives and concubines. And I won't go through all of those. They don't, they don't need to suit our purposes. The key names here you want to remember are the first surviving son of Bathsheba, Solomon, and the second surviving son of Bathsheba, Nathan. Because Matthew is going to take his genealogy through Solomon, the legal line, but Luke is going to take the genealogy through Nathan and follow the bloodline to Mary. And, uh, who is, and uh, so that's important to understand as you get into that. But anyway, when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. You may remember the exploits there. David, for a while, when he's a fugitive from Saul, hit out with the Philistines. And they probably figured he was some kind of a, a vassal. But now that he's king over all Israel, they're, you know, they, uh, they're coming up after him. And David heard of it and went out against them. 
And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So this is about three or four miles southwest of Jerusalem. David inquired of God. That's always the first thing we should do, by the way. It's amazing how we always see when people do that, they avoid a lot of trouble. When they fail to do that, they get in the deep yogurt very quickly. David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hands? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hands. Boy, is it easy to be bold when you know you're in God's will. And there's no more exciting place to be, but you want to make sure you're in God's will. Well, so they came up to Baal Perazim, and David smote them there, and David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by mine hand like the breaking forth of the waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord of the breaks, in effect. Also called Mount Perazim. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment that they were burned with fire. That is the Philistine gods. They left their, their uh, uh, paraphernalia that they worship, and they burned it with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God, and God said unto him, Go not up after them, turn away from them, and come upon them over and against the mulberry trees. Now, the, uh, it's interesting about these gods. You see, the Philistines felt they had the gods of uh, the, the ark of, of Israel, and that brought them nothing but grief. When they split, they left their gods, but David uh, burned them, which is the right thing to do. But they're again abroad in the valley, and David now again, rather than presuming, inquires of God. And God is setting up an ambush. Go not up after them. Turn away from them and come upon them over and against the mulberry trees. Inquiring again, we need to do that. We need to, we need to spend at least as much time in prayer as we do planning. Um, when Dan and I had the opportunity to visit uh, Gospel for Asia, incredible ministry. But one of the things that really impressed us with them, that was one of their dictums. They tried to spend, as a group, as a management team, as much time in prayer as they do planning. And that really struck home with us. We spend more time planning and scheming and working, you know, running things. And uh, we need to spend more, we, ourselves, we need to spend more time in prayer. And that's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so easy to neglect. It's so easy to take for granted. And yet how crucial it is, even God himself, in the flesh, spent all through the night praying. Serious prayer. Anyway, faith versus presumption. See, there's many of us that, actually tempt the Lord. We don't trust Him. We actually tempt Him. When we enter some kind of a business or an agreement, and then we try to do something, as the saying goes, they bite off more than they can chew. They claim to do it because we trust the Lord. That's more often presumption than it is, is faithfulness. What makes them think? What do they, why do they think God told them to do it? What's their evidence of that? So often, we're not operating on faith. We're operating uh, Presumption is a sin. Anyway, continuing with David here, and it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle. For God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. <laughs> Stepping out in faith. David therefore did as God commanded him. They smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. 
And uh, the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. That's quite a statement. That's, quite, that's not a commentator statement. That's the chronicler statement. The fame of David went out into all lands. The Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. So at his peak, he's not at his peak yet, but at his peak, David will be a, a major victorious warrior, a very clever general. He's going to subdue the Philistines to the west. We've just seen some of that. The Syrians headed these are to the north. The Ammonites and Moabites to the east. The Edomites and the Malachites in the south. He's going to succeed against all of these. He also will be a very constructive administrator. We'll see this text will tell us that he did judgment and justice to all people. That's quite a statement. How tragic it is we don't have that in our own country. We no longer have a rule of law. Tragically. One of the things he'll do that we'll want to pay attention to, he's going to organize the priesthood into 24 courses. The only place 24 occurs in the Bible is when David takes the, this huge priesthood and organizes it into 24 as he calls it, segments or, or, or courses or elements of it. And that's going to be important to us to understand when we get there for a lot of reasons. He was also a major poet, can you imagine? Not only a warrior, a poet. And a songwriter. He wrote virtually the whole hymn, hymnal of the nation, Israel, called the Book of Psalms. His kingdom is enormous. His kingdom proper is substantial. But even more than that, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Hamath are considered vassal states under his rule. And several other major uh, functionaries acknowledge Israelite sovereignty, the Arameans, the Moab, and Edom. So that was his kingdom that he had swag over. Okay, chapter 15. Now the ark will be brought to Jerusalem the proper way. David made him houses in the city of David, prepared a place for the ark of God, and pitched for a tent. And David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. He finally did some homework, I guess. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, and the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and his brethren, 120, and the sons of Merari, Isaiah the chief and his brethren, 220, and the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief and his brethren, 130. So Kohath, Merite, and Gershom, these are the three families of the Levites. Priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. To be a priest, you need to be a descendant of Aaron. But the rest of them are one of three families, Kohathites, Merite, and they each had specific duties regarding the tabernacle. Now the sons of Eliphan, Shemaiah the chief, the brethren of 200, the sons of Hebron, Ithiel the chief, and his brethren fourscore, the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief, and his brethren 112. And David called for Zadok, we're going to hear more about that name later, and Abiathar, the priests, and four Levites, for Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, and Ithiel, and Aminadab. He said to them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites, sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. For that we sought him not after the due order. 
So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. So if the ark of the covenant is on the shoulders of the Levite, this must be traveling somewhere. You'll want to remember that when we get to 2 Chronicles 35 for some discoveries we'll deal with then. And David spake unto the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with the instruments of music, psalteries, harps, and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. We're going to sense as we go forward here a lot of emphasis on music. I'm sorry I'm not more musical, and I think there's a lot of research that still needs to be done for many of the terms that we find in the Bible that are not really understood, that are musical terms of various kinds. So the Levites appointed Haman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren, Asaph, the son of Barakiah, and the sons of Merari, the brethren, Ethan, the son of uh, Cushiah, and with them their brethren of second degree, Zechariah, Ben, and Jezeel, and Shemarath, and Jael, and Uni, and Eliab, and Benaiah, Messiah, Mattathiah, and Ephelech, and uh, Eliphelech, and uh, Mechaniah, and Obedidim, and Jael, the porters. So the singers, Haman, Asaph, Ethan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. And Zechariah, and Aziel, and Zemarath, and Jehiel, Uni, and Eliab, and Messiah, and Benaiah, with psalteries on the Alamoth, which I think has something to do with the lyre, but I'm not sure. And the Mathathiah, and the Eliphelah, and the Mechaniah, and Obedidim, and Jael, and Azariah, with harps on the Shimoneth to excel. Shimoneth is also a musical term, and again, somehow relates to the harps and so forth, but we're guessing here. And Chickeniah, chief of the Levites, was for song, and he instructed about the song because he was skillful. And Barakiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. And Shebaniah and Jeshaphat and Anthoniel, Amasai and Zechariah and Benaiah and Eliezer the priests did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God, and Obedidim and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. You know, the one thing I... one inference I draw from all of this, while we're not taking time to really get at all these names, it's clear that God keeps track of those that are worshiping Him. And I think all of us that are in some service to Him, we can be confident that our names too are recorded some appropriate place. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains of the thousands went, up, went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. It came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the Ark and the singers and the Shekaniah, the master of the song with the singers. And David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the cornet, with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. Must have been a noisy time. It came to pass, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, that's one of his first, that's his first wife, looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. We sort of presume that she mistook his zeal for exhibition, exhibitionism. And uh, so they, that was, that's the, I think, the last you hear of Michael, by the way. That's the, they didn't do well together. So First Chronicles 16, they brought the, they, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. 
And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. Burnt sacrifices, you know, we, as, as New Testament Christians, we read those terms probably without a lot of insight. And I'm not going to springboard from here into a whole review of the book of Leviticus, although I encourage you, the book of Leviticus isn't a book you read, it's one you study. It's the only book on holiness in the entire Bible, really. And uh, so I encourage you to double back on that and go through your notes, refresh your thing on that. When David made an end of the offering of burnt offerings and peace offerings, they're, they're, they're different, apparently. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Now, a burnt offering, the word is ola, which means ascending. The whole being is being consumed. It's regarded as the, all the offerings are burnt, but the ones that are wholly burnt, completely burnt, are regarded as having ascended to God while being consumed. Part of every offering is, of course, burned, but he, this is the, what really would be translated the whole burnt offering. It was the most frequent form of sacrifice. It's the only one mentioned in the book of Genesis by Abel and Noah and Abraham in Genesis 4, 8, and 22, respectively. And uh, now, the law of Moses later will prescribe occasions and the manner in which burnt sacrifices were to be offered. There was a continual burnt offering in Exodus 29 Leviticus 6. There was a burnt offering of every Sabbath, which was double the daily one. The burnt offering of every month. So you got every day, every month, every, uh, 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 every week and every month. Then you have offerings of Passover, a Feast of Shavuot, or what you call Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets. These are all, all have special burnt offerings. And of course, Yom Kippur, the Day, day of Atonement. And there are many others, many other special occasions. Now, peace offerings, the word is shalem, it's a different word in Leviticus 3 and 7. It's three kinds. It's Eucharistic or Thanksgiving. It's always Thanksgiving. It's voluntary. These are not required. They're voluntary. They're expressive of gratitude. The ones are legislated. These are optional. They're of your heart. In fulfillment of a vow is another thing. Expressive for many thanks for benefits. And they're free will offerings. Something spontaneously devoted to God. These are, that's the term peace offering. Anyway, moving on to Chronicles. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one, a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. Well, that sounds pretty good. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him Zechariah, Jeel, Jemaroth, Sheel, Medathiah, Eliab, Beniah, and this Beniah you want to keep an eye on, and Obadiah and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals, and Beniah also and Jehaziel, uh, the priests with trumpets, continued before the ark of the covenant of God. That Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So now we're going to hear a psalm that will really turn out to be a composite of three psalms in the book of Psalms. Uh, all written by David anyway, but he apparently tailored this one for the occasion. As follows, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. You know, calling upon His name. You know, we, we, we all think the third commandment has to do with vocabulary. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It has nothing to do with vocabulary. It has to do with ambassadorship. You take the name of the king and make sure you represent him faithfully and competently. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. So we're going to discover that the, from verse 8 to verse 36 in Psalm in the, First Chronicles 16 will be excerpted from Psalm 105, first 15 verses, 
Psalm 96, a dozen verses, and Psalm 106, a, a few segments. David, David continues, Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. We need to seek his face. You know, it's interesting. God, God is going to appear to Solomon later and give Solomon a very special promise for the country that we can claim. Second, Second Chronicles 7.14 if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God says. We need to understand what seeking his face is. Simple phrase. It's not a head trip. It's something far deeper. Seek his face. Seek his face continually, David says. Moving on. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Remember his marvelous works. You know, it's astonishing to realize we live in a country in which our kids are inculcated to deny God's creation. And it shouldn't surprise us to discover that in the Scripture there's a very specific judgment that's pronounced on a, on a nation that fails to acknowledge Him as Creator. And that judgment is recorded in Romans chapter 1, from verse 20 and following, where God says, because they did not recognize Him as your Creator, I'm going to give them over to homosexuality. That's basically what he says. And when we see, I, I've always looked at homosexuality as a sin, a choice of the person. Now, obviously, there's people who have different views, but that's what the Scripture says. But I was shocked to realize that in the Scripture, homosexuality is also labeled a judgment of God against a country that fails to acknowledge Him as Creator. No, we should... Uh, re remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Glory ye in his holy name, he admonishes. Seek his face continually. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.